The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Now, I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. And we are thankful for this privilege that we have of being able to read God's Word, to open it and read Scripture. And we are just tremendously blessed by having that freedom to do so. And so on this uh, time of Thanksgiving, we do need to thank God for that wonderful privilege that we have, just to meet here in freedom, to open our Bibles and to read it and just learn from the Word of God. Well, today's message might seem to be a little bit strange for a Thanksgiving sermon, a Thanksgiving holiday, and I apologize to you if you wanted something a little bit lighter before lunch today. Uh, Most of you probably don't want to think about the devil because uh, happier thoughts surely make for better Thanksgiving. But perhaps I can give you something here to be really thankful for. Uh, Today we are going to uh, continue the discussion of the Christian's greatest enemy, And that enemy wants you to turn away from the Lord God, the very same one that we're here to give thanks for, uh, thanks to, the one who gives us all things, the one who is our provider, the one who gives you your food to eat and air to breathe and houses to live in and jobs to support your families. He gives us all good things, and yet Satan wants us to remember none of that. Satan wants to forsake all of that. He wants you to be thankful for nothing. He wants you to... Reject the God who gave it, and he wants you to do that to the peril of your soul. And so be thankful for this, that Satan cannot overcome God. He can't take away who you are in Christ. And if you are a believer, he can never take away your salvation or the home that God has promised you in heaven. The scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we thank God for Jesus Christ who protects us against the enemy of our soul. Now I'd like you to look at our text verses in Ephesians 6. And in this letter to the Ephesian church, the Apostle Paul has been discussing the Christian life. He's just given tremendous doctrine at the beginning of the book in which he wrote about God's sovereign choice of his people before the foundation of the world. He has discussed the believer's position in Christ. He said that we have all spiritual blessings in Christ for which we should be supremely grateful. He has discussed the way of salvation, that it is by God's grace and that it is secured to us by faith in Christ alone. He spoke of the Lord's church and how God unites believers all across the world in the fellowship of the gospel. And then he spoke of ministry. He talked about serving Christ, and he's spoken of many different doctrines. He spoke of living as a new person who, by regeneration, is recreated to live in righteousness. Then he follows that with the duty of Christians to to walk in the light and, and to be fully submissive to Christ, who is the head of his church. There's just so much in this one little letter to the Ephesians that if you could just get a grasp Of the things that Paul talks about here, you are well on your way to intimate fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But now Paul comes to the end of this letter, and he turns his attention to the adversary who wants to prevent all of this good doctrine that he's talked about of being a blessing to you and helping you in your walk with the Lord. He speaks of this one who attacks Christians, who 
tries to destroy their confidence in the Lord who does all good things for him, for them. Every step that you take for Christ, every positive action that you take for Christ is opposed with a counteraction, a negative counteraction by this enemy. He's too strong for you to handle. He's too powerful for you to take on by yourself. And so Paul, knowing that all of this good doctrine that he's just spoken is going to be twisted and perverted by this arch enemy, now tells us what we need to do to prepare ourselves for the fight that we have against him. And so he warns us here to encourage us to be ready for this fight that we have with Satan. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, and beginning at verse number 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, uh, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Everything that's written in the scripture will eventually lead us to Christ. You might not see that at first. You might not think so. And you may think today, why doesn't the pastor give us a more positive sermon? Why isn't he preaching a a sermon about Jesus Christ? Why doesn't he do that on this particular day, rather than talking about this person who is named Satan? Well, I preach this because it is a Bible doctrine. I preach it because the Apostle Paul preached it. We find it often throughout Scripture. And I preach it also because I know that this will also lead us to Jesus Christ, who is the only one who can help us. We don't pray to angels. We don't pray to uh, saints for our strength. We certainly don't pray to Mary for anything. We pray only to Jesus Christ because he is the only hope that we have because he alone has the power to defeat Satan. Now, as Paul says here in verse number 10, he said, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, and the power of his might. Now, our subject today is Satan. Next week, the subject will be Satan. The week after that is going to be Satan. And if you're not sick of him by now, I hope you will be by the time that we get finished. And uh, this, again, might seem very strange to you, but Satan will lead you to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he doesn't do that intentionally. That's not what he sets out to do. But if you understand him and you understand what he's capable of, you don't have any choice but to run to Christ. You don't have any choice but to go to him. He's the only one who can help you. And if you don't see that and depend upon Jesus Christ to help you, then the devil will get a hold of you and he'll chew you up and he'll spit your bones into the pit of hell. Now let me take just a moment to remind you of where we've been in previous messages. This is the third part. Uh, The first two parts, we talked about Satan's origin. That Satan is not eternal. He is not an impersonal force of evil. He is the embodiment of evil, but he's not evil itself. He is a created being. But when he was created, he wasn't created evil. Everything that God created was good, and Satan was not created as Satan, and thus he was not evil, but he was created as Lucifer, an angel of light. And most likely, he was the most beautiful of all of God's angels. He was the most powerful of all of God's angels. The scriptures describe him as the anointed cherub. And the cherubs are the highest of the 
uh, order of angels. And Satan was right there, or Lucifer rather, was right there at the very tip top of that order. And he was given a very special appointment by God. He was the anointed cherub. He was right there in the throne room of God until sin was found in him. He was lifted up in his pride, and in his pride he wanted to be God, and he desired that he would place himself above the throne of God. And so he defected from God, and he convinced one-third of heaven's angels to follow him in an attempt to overthrow God. And because of that rebellion, God rejected him, he was cast out, and God said that he would bring him down to the sides of the pit, which means that he would be thrown into the everlasting lake of fire, where Scripture says the smoke of his torment will ascend forever and forever. But we also notice this, that God did not decide to end Satan's rebellion immediately. He could have done that if he wanted to. He could have stopped it all right then and just cast Satan into hell at the very beginning when he defied him. But God decided not to do that. And in his infinite wisdom, he decided to use Satan, and then he would overthrow sin... And he would magnify the Lord Jesus Christ in the redemption of man. So God's plan was to magnify his name by overthrowing that sin and by calling some out of the fallen race of humanity to himself by cleansing them in the blood of Jesus Christ. And he would conquer sin in them and then throw the arch nemesis of the Christian into hell forever. Now where we left off last time is we were discussing Satan's location. Where is Satan now? Well, we know that he's not in hell. He stays as far away from hell as he can get. He doesn't stoke the flames of the fires of hell because hell is not his domain. Hell belongs to God. God rules hell. And men and fallen angels go there at God's command. They don't go there at Satan's command. So where is he now? Well, we learn that Satan is free to go wherever he wants that he spends time on earth, and perhaps surprisingly to all of us, he does spend some time in heaven. He doesn't live there, but God has allowed him to go to heaven for a time, and when he's in heaven, he accuses God's people. Now, the book of Job tells us that Satan appeared before God with other angels, and he accused Job of serving God because God made him untouchable. And still today, this is what Satan does. He has access into heaven where he continually accuses those who are the people of God. And he will continue to do that until God decides he's going to end things, and then he's going to bring all of this world and all of its systems to a close. In Isaiah chapter 34, it says, All the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and their host shall fall down as a leaf falleth off from the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree. And so when God decides to wind all of this world's system down, then he'll end Satan's access to heaven forever. Now take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Revelation chapter 12. And we see a scene here in which John describes the time when God is going to begin that shutdown. And his first step is to restrict Satan's power and confine him to the earth. And that sounds like a very good thing at first, except it's very, very bad before it turns good. And so in Revelation chapter 12, John writes this and describes this scene that will be in the future. And he says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought with his angels. 
and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Now, do you see this? There are actually multiple things that are going on in that scripture. There's a reference here to Satan's original fall. And then there's also a reference to the end of Satan's access to heaven. This is when Satan is cast down to the earth. Well, what had Satan been doing? Well, he was pestering God with all of those accusations that he has against his people. Day and night, he shows up there to accuse until God finally says, No more accusations. I'm not going to listen to this anymore. And that is the time when God decides that he's going to wind this world system down. So Satan is cast out. Then he is restricted to the earth. His travels are over. And all of heaven rejoices because of this. Satan is no longer going to be there. But then we look and we see what happens to people on the earth when Satan is cast down. That's verse number 12. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Now you see, at that point, when he's cast out of heaven, Satan will realize that time is growing short for him. He just has a little bit of time to do all the damage that he can do, and his time is limited to seven more years. Seven more years of tribulation that will be upon the earth. And despite God plunging the world into that tribulation, people will be in all kinds of problems, but they will not turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will not repent of their sins, and that's because Satan has blinded their eyes to the truth. And so the world becomes a torture chamber for those that reject Jesus Christ. So Satan was rejected by God. Then he's turned loose upon the earth to do his worst. And this is why Ephesians chapter 6 is so important to us. Know your enemy. Know what the enemy is capable of and put on God's armor of protection. Well, I want to turn our attention now to the second part of the study. The first part is about Satan's origin. And now we want to look at the Bible's descriptions of him. Satan's descriptions. Now, we discussed um, his description in his creation. He was Lucifer. He was the morning star. But what is he now? Well, it's somewhat surprising, but this is really the incentive for this series of messages. Did you know that there is no single creature spoken by name above Satan in Scripture? There, there, he is the one who's spoken the most of in Scripture. Now, he's not spoken more of than God. Now, I'm talking about creatures. He's not spoken of more than God because God is not a creature. And he's not spoken of more than the Lord Jesus Christ because neither was the Lord Jesus Christ created. He is the creator. He is eternal. He is God. 
But when we talk about creatures, there is no other creature in Scripture that's spoken of more than this person who is called Satan. He's called Satan, which is a description of his activity. That is a word that means adversary, and that's what he does all the time. He opposes God and his people. Now, there is no such thing as secondary and tertiary sources of evil. All evil is bound up in Satan so that every action that's taken against God has Satan as the source. Now, there are, of course, billions and billions of angels, demons that follow Satan, but none of them is the one who controls evil. None of them is a source of evil. All of those angels never act independently of the power of Satan. Now, this is why God spends so much time talking about him. And the Bible never describes that God is fighting a secondary source of evil. So the concentration of evil is in Satan, so that when Satan is defeated, when Satan is bound up and thrown out forever, then evil goes out with him. And all of the evil angels are sucked up into that black hole of judgment when Satan is judged. Well, what other descriptions does the Bible give of him? Well, these are actually helpful for us to understand his work. He is, first of all, called the devil. That's the second most popular name for him in the scriptures. He is the devil. And we find that name 30 times, 35 times used of him. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, it says it was the devil that tempted him. Several times in that scripture, it says it was the devil. When Jesus spoke to unbelieving Jews, he said to them, You are of your father, the devil. And that's a very important scripture because that teaches us that there are some people who have the devil as their father, which means there is no such thing as the universal fatherhood of God. Some people are of God, some people are of Satan. Now, strictly speaking, there is only one devil. And though the King James Version, the one that we use here, uh, uses the plural devils, and the Bible speaks of casting out devils. James says, the devils believe also and tremble. Sometimes the King James uses the word devil in the singular when it's apparent that the devil is not being spoken of. Now, I don't have much use for modern versions of Scripture, but they are correct when they translate devils as demons, because demons are evil angels that fell with Satan. But there is only one devil. There is much said in the Bible about demon activity. They possessed people and they hurt people. They scared the wits out of people. And I think it's interesting that when demons entered into a person and possessed that person, it was demons, it was not Satan. It wasn't Satan that entered them. Now, there is one case where the Bible says that Satan entered into a man, and that was into Judas. In John 13, verse 27... And after the sop, Satan entered into him, that is, into Judas. Then Jesus said to him, that thou doest, do quickly. But even though demon possession doesn't mean that Satan came into a person personally, then we, we could confidently say that it's like having Satan in a person personally, because all the activity of these demons are superintended by Satan. Now, demon possession is a very interesting subject. Every few years, there's a new movie that comes out with uh, the storyline. It's about demon possession. Evil and darkness interest people. Just like Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light. And so people get very interested in this. 
And there's just a morbid curiosity about it. And some of these things, I'll warn you, you don't want to get too interested in. But people do want to know about this, and they want to know such things. Is it possible for people to be possessed by demons today? Well, I don't see any indication that it stopped. Some of your kids convinced me that it's absolutely true. Uh, but people, they want to know about this. They want to know, is, is it really possible for a demon to possess someone today? Well, I, I believe this, that with some of the wild, ecstatic speech and weird stuff that goes on in charismatic churches, I think that's the activity of demons. In ancient pagan cultures, and in some non-Christian cultures today, there is ecstatic speech that is caused by demons. Whenever you see something that's not sanctioned by the Scripture, you can count on that as being Satan who mimics the work of God. And so Satan uses his demons, even in religion, to throw people off. And the devil's religion is alive and well in Christian churches, folks. So I think that there actually might be a threefold reason for the amount of demon activity that we read about in the Bible, at least in the time of Jesus. And one of those reasons is because Jesus and the apostles could identify it. We might not know when a demon is actually at work. Uh, we, we can't perceive that. But Jesus could. The apostles could. They had that power that they could tell when demons were working. So they spotted it. They could see that. Jesus knew. I mean, Jesus could spot a demon like he would a roach. I mean, he, he knows one when he sees one. And then secondly, we would have to say that uh, Satan was definitely harder at work at that time than any other time because that's when he had Jesus Christ in the flesh. And he thought that he could do more against Christ when he was in the weakness of human flesh. And this is why you see him coming to Jesus and tempting him with things like pride and food and also disobedience. And then thirdly, God simply allowed more demon activity at that time because that's one of the ways that Jesus demonstrated that he was God. He exercised power in the supernatural world in casting out demons. Now, there wasn't anybody else that had the power to do that. The Jews claimed that they did. They had their exorcists. They said, we can cast out demons too, but they really didn't have that power. Now, we have an example of this in Acts chapter 19, and let me just read this to you because I think it's interesting. It says, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. In other words, we're going to cast you out by the name of Jesus. And they didn't even know Jesus. And there were seven sons of Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now, if you're not Jesus or an apostle, I don't recommend that you take on a demon. Jesus could cast them out because he was truly God. Well, naturally, all the talk about demons would raise the question of whether it's possible for a Christian to be possessed with a demon. And I will say this, that in my position as pastor of this church and being uniquely qualified to answer this question, I am thoroughly convinced that some church members are the spawn of Satan. And those of you who are that way, you know who you are, so that, we'll just leave it at that. 
Can a Christian be possessed with a demon? Well, the answer to that is no. And there's a huge reason why it's impossible. The Holy Spirit lives in a Christian. And according to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, there it says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so for a demon to enter into you, he would have to bind the Holy Spirit and throw him out of his temple, or out of his house, if you will. Jesus said that a stronger man binds a weaker man in order to come in to spoil his goods, to rob his house. And so for Satan to enter into a Christian, he would have to be stronger than the Holy Spirit. And if he's stronger than the Holy Spirit, then we can just stop talking about this right now because we don't have any hope. None of us has any hope of overcoming one of Satan's demons if he's stronger than the Holy Spirit. Now, another interesting point about them is, is it possible for me and you to cast out demons? Could we actually do an exorcism? Well, I've heard preachers claim that it can be done. I tend to believe that casting out demons was an apostolic power that was gone when the apostles were gone. It doesn't exist any longer. But I think that we can cast out demons through prayer. I think that we can depend on the Lord through prayer to take demons out of people that... And that happens when he saves them from their sins. But all of you know, we've seen this in the movies. We've seen people cast out demons. Uh, Roman Catholic priests cast out demons by throwing holy water on them. And then they say all this hocus pocus. And when the green puke is over and the spinning head is done, then the demon comes out. For that, I refer you to Matthew 12, verse 26. And if Satan cast out Satan... He is divided against himself. How then, or how shall then his kingdom stand? Now here's my comment about whether the Roman Catholic Church can cast out demons. I would say the Catholic Church is full of demons from the Pope on down. They're deceitful workers of darkness, and Satan is not going to cast out Satan. So no, Catholic priests cannot cast out demons. But make no mistake about this. Demon possession or no, the devil is still hard at work, just like he ever was. And if there is no demon possession today, you can count on this, that the devil has switched tactics. He's doing something just as bad because he's very good at what he does. He can deceive people. He has many other wiles, as the Apostle Paul would say. Well, next in his descriptions, we, we get more of a sense of Satan's power from this next one, that he is called a prince. Oh, you could call him Prince Charming if you want because he's a dashing, charming fellow. And that is not really the picture that most people get of him. Now, he's very sinister, to be sure, but he never appears in evil mode. He makes you think, as what Grandma used to say, that he's better than sliced bread. He's the best thing that you've seen since sliced bread. In Ephesians 2, verse number 2, Paul said that he is the prince and power of the air. And in John 12, 31, it says that he is the prince of the world. In Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees referred to him as Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Beelzebub, that's, that's an interesting term. In Jesus' time, Beelzebub was an interchangeable name for Satan. The original meaning of that word takes us back into the Old Testament and to the worship of a Canaanite god named Baal. And Baal was the chief god of the Philistines, and his name translates loosely into the Lord of the Flies. 
or the Lord of things that fly. As the prince of evil, Satan has been pictured in many forms. One of those is the image of Baphomet. I want to show you that today, and I, I, I hesitate to do this, but I want to show you how some people see Satan. They have this image of Baphomet. That's one of his names. And here in the picture, you see he has horns and he has wings. He has the head of a goat, the body of a man. He has feet like a goat. And the scriptures never give any kind of description of Satan like this. So I don't know who think they, thinks they saw Satan appear in this way. But this is the picture that you have of the Satan worshipers today. And uh, I know you probably don't want to hear this, but many of the musicians, pop musicians today and so forth, their clothing will have symbols like this on it where they're, they're, this, they're kind of uh, obscure sometimes. But I, I was just looking at this uh, uh, as I was studying this this week and looking at, uh, <laughs> I don't do this often, but looking for, ima- looking for images of Satan. You know what popped up? Beyonce. And it showed on her clothing and stances that she takes symbols of Satanism. I don't know what she believes, but in that kind of a crowd, you can expect just about anything. And those are the kinds of people that influence your children when the things you let them listen to. But anyway, uh, you know, if you want to look up images of Satan, you'll find this one. And this is the one that's used uh, in the literature and so forth of the Church of Satan. Now, the problem with trying to describe Satan's physical appearance is that he has no physical appearance. He, he, is a, he is a spirit being, and spirits don't have horns, they don't have faces, they don't have goat's feet. Descriptions of angels in the Bible are what angels look like when God allows them to take on a bodily form. And so the issue of Satan is that if he was going to take on a bodily form, which I think that he can do because he's an angel... He can do that. What form would Satan take on? Would he take on the image that we see here? Would that be the thing that Satan would do? Would he want to take on a, some type of a, an appearance that would frighten people away? Well, no, he's not going to do that. He's going to appear like he did in the Garden of Eden. He's going to appear as, as a, the most beautiful creature. He's always in that deceptive mode, and his deception is not going to include things that would picture how evil that he really is. Now, the closest description of him that we have in Scripture would be what we find where it says that Satan appears as an angel of light. But I think more that's talking about uh, his activities than his physical appearance. The description that we have in Ezekiel of what he looked like when he was Lucifer is not a description of what his face looked like or what his body looked like, but more a description of general beauty how he was created to glorify God. Uh, We do see in Revelation, and we read this last week about demons and the horrible appearance that they have, but that's a special purpose that God has changed them so that they have this horrible appearance because he's going to use them for this purpose of frightening people later on during the tribulation period. Calvin was of the opinion that when Satan fell, the image of God was destroyed in him. And I think that that's true, but... That image does not mean a physical appearance. So what I'm trying to tell you, that that if Satan were to appear in your bedroom tonight, he's not going to stick you with a pitchfork, and he's not going to gore you with one of his horns. Satan does not appear that way. Satan is a chameleon. 
And I apologize to all chameleons for saying that because chameleons say, no, Satan is a snake. But no, actually he is a chameleon because he appears in multiple ways. And maybe, in fact, he does appear looking like your mother-in-law, which you are, I said last week, you were convinced of that, quite certain. Now, let me give you another indication of his power. He is called a god, and that's God with a little g. 2 Corinthians 4 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now let me take just a moment here to go all theological on you. I promise you it won't hurt. So just, just sit still for just a minute. These scriptures are excellent teaching opportunities for us. We can learn something here. Satan is called a god. And what he's able to do is to blind people's minds against the truth. He has the ability to keep truth out so that no one can understand it. He keeps the gospel from penetrating the heart. And these verses in 2 Corinthians are very clear about that. He is a God. And I want you to get that because the Bible doesn't use those kinds of terms for nothing. He is a God, a God of this world, who has more power than you can ever, ever fathom. He's always working. He never stops working. And especially, he's not going to let his guard down when a person is sitting under the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when the gospel is being preached, Satan goes into overdrive, stopping that gospel from having effect on the person's heart. He keeps it from penetrating into the heart, so he distorts it. He throws up smoke screens. When the Bible is being preached, you will get sleepy. You're not going to listen. For all you sleepers out there, I see Satan sitting on top of your head with his wings stretched out over your eyes. And you're laying there asleep or sitting there asleep. Your mind will wander. The chair gets uncomfortable. You will fidget. You'll watch the person in front of you pick his nose. You'll do all of that. I mean, you'll even say to yourself, if I could get up there, I, would, I could do a such better job than that guy's doing. I could preach a better message than he preaches. All of that stuff goes on when the gospel is being preached. Now, here's the issue. The God of this world and all the forces of hell stand opposed to the preacher and to the person who hears the gospel of Christ. Satan is working in the spiritual world in a place that you cannot see, in a place where you have no ability to fight, and then on top of that problem, you are inherently depraved, and Satan exploits that in every conceivable way. You can't see because Satan has blinded your spiritual eyes, and you don't want to see because darkness is what you prefer rather than the Lord. Now, you're getting the picture here? This is the predicament that you're in, and yet preachers will make a point that you have a power in that situation, in that predicament, to make a decision for Christ. And they'll say to you, oh, it's easy for you to believe, but the devil is against you, and his demons are against you. The depravity of your heart is against you. You hate God, you hate the gospel, it is foolishness to you, is what the Bible says. But you don't need to really worry about that because the preacher has three points and he has a canned prayer that can fix all of that for you. So you just listen and you repeat the prayer and Satan, just like a whip dog, is going to lay down and let you go. Is that true? Could that possibly be true? Well, yes, it is true. In Satan's world, but not in God's. In Satan's world, all truth becomes lies. 
So Satan would love you to think that it's this easy. Don't worry about this because he gives up easily. He gives up easily, and that's why the Bible calls him a god. Now, do you understand that the penetrating light of the gospel of Christ cannot shine in because Satan is too powerful? And so it takes something in the supernatural world to combat in the supernatural world. And so the only one who can help you is Jesus Christ operating through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you want to be thankful for something today, be thankful for this. Colossians chapter 1, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. And so if you're going to get out from Satan's thumb, underneath his thumb, you had better have a God that is more powerful than him. You had better have a God who rips those wings from over your eyes that cover them and draws you to him. Well, Satan's power is unparalleled, and you're never going to come to Christ unless God does it. So this is the point of all that, that salvation is of the Lord, that you're not going to do anything to get to heaven, including repenting and believing in Jesus Christ, until God takes away those blinders from your eyes. And not until God gives you repentance and faith will you believe. And the only person that can do it for you is God. And he does it by the power of the Holy Spirit, using the message of Jesus Christ. And that's God working to bring you to him. So the whole trinity of God is involved with this. Now let me give you just one more. I hope, uh, I hope this interests you. Uh, we, we aren't having a service tonight, so I have this godlike power over when you get to eat. So I'm, I'm going to take just a little bit longer. I want to give you just one more. Just one, one more. And that is, he is called a ruler. In Ephesians 6.12, in our text, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, in the order of elect angels of God, there is a hierarchy. There's also a hierarchy among evil angels. We see it here in that 12th verse. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. That refers to a hierarchy of evil angels. Now, in the book of Daniel, the hierarchy of both good and evil angels is referenced. I'd like you to turn to Dan Daniel chapter 10 to what I think is just a fascinating scripture where Daniel gives us a glimpse into the backstory of what's going on in the spiritual world. These are, these are things that you just don't have any idea that are happening. And here in chapter 10, Daniel describes how his prayers were hindered by an evil angel. And this was a very powerful angel, more powerful than the run-of-the-mill angels, uh, the demons that Satan has. I mean, he does have his rank-and-file minions, but he also has generals that control certain areas of the earth, if you want to put it that way. And uh, these angels are heads of demon armies, like battalion commanders, so they have different areas that they're over. Daniel was accosted by one of these very, very powerful angels. So he is a very powerful prophet of God, and he's being attacked with powerful resistance. These are things that go on in the spiritual world that you don't realize are happening. Now, Daniel chapter 10, verse number 8, Daniel says, Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. 
Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now let me explain the scene to you. Daniel was praying for help. God heard his prayers. Now remember, Daniel was in the kingdom of Babylon, and uh, he was very, very much oppressed because of his Lord God that he trusted in. So he prayed to God, and God dispatched an angel to assist him. But this angel was resisted, he was hindered by a more powerful, evil angel. And this evil angel was head over the area of the earth where Daniel was, and that was in Persia. So the good angel didn't have enough power to overcome this evil angel. And so in verse number 12, Michael the archangel, one of heaven's chief angels, came to fight against this evil angel. Now there we have an indication of the angelic hierarchy. And so on both sides, there are angels that are more powerful than other angels. Satan stands out as the chief among all evil angels, and most likely the chief angel of the elect angels of God, is Michael. Now, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament, to the book of Jude, where we see another interesting scripture. And in this scripture, we see angels going head to head in a cosmic battle. And I want to show you the respect that Michael had for Lucifer, Satan. Jude, verse number 9. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil... He disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Now what we see there is a dispute among two of the most powerful angels that Michael and Lucifer squared off against each other in a head-to-head confrontation over the body of Moses. Now what was that dispute about? The Bible doesn't tell us, but that's never stopped us from speculating about it. And so I think that this might be a good guess. Do you remember what happened to Moses? How did Moses die? Well, Moses didn't die of old age. He didn't die of a disease. He didn't die when he was, or he died, I should say, when he was robust and healthy. And you say, well, how does that happen? Well, he died because God took his life. Before Israel went into the promised land, God took Moses to the top of Pisgah in the range of Horeb, or Nebo, rather, And he took his life and buried him. And when his body was buried, there was no one that knew where it was. God hid the body so that nobody could find it. Well, why did God do that? Well, that's a pretty good question. God said that Moses was a great prophet. In fact, uh, he said he's the only prophet that I ever spoke to face to face. God dealt with no other prophets in the way that he did Moses. Moses was highly unique, so he was revered more than any other prophet in the Bible. What you don't read about in the Bible is the Jews saying, well, we are Jeremiah's disciples. And they never said, we are Isaiah's disciples. 
They said, we are Moses' disciples. They very, very highly revered Moses. And so now with this great prophet that's in their midst, what do you think that Israel would have done with the body of Moses? Well, I think they would have become the first Roman Catholics because they would have taken that body and made a relic to worship. So it might be that Satan wanted Moses' body in order to tempt Israel into idolatry. And that would be Satan's greatest coup if he could do that. If he could take the body of Moses and take God's greatest prophet and turn him into an idol for Israel to worship. So it may be that Michael was guarding the body of Moses so that Satan couldn't get to that body and Michael was not going to give it up. Now we notice how the dispute ended. Michael would not take on Satan, not at this time, but he held back and he said, the Lord take care of you. Oh, there could have been this explosive battle right then and there that would have rocked the foundations of the earth. But Michael did not take on Satan then. He said, let the Lord take care of you. And you know what? Satan never did get Moses' body. That body's still hidden, still buried. Nobody knows where it is. Satan would take on Michael, but he would not take on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's return to a scripture that we read a while ago. Let's go back a few pages to Revelation chapter 12 and we'll end here. Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 7. Revelation 12 verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now in the last days, before Christ begins his kingdom, Michael and all of the angels in heaven are going to take on Satan and all the demons that are in his kingdom. And they'll fight in this great cosmic battle like the world has never seen. And I can't describe that to you because nobody's ever seen this before. Nobody can tell you what it's like for supernatural beings to fight with one another. So I can't give it a description of it. But this time, Michael is not going to hold back. He has the authority of the one who has all authority, and so the battle is on. And the result of this battle is victory over Satan. And Satan, who's still trying to hold on to that little bit of freedom that he has to go into heaven whenever he wants, Satan will be shut out and then cast down to the earth, never to go to heaven again. And in the short, short, God's going to get rid of him forever. That's what will happen to him. Now, that's a good place for me to stop today because we can't fight Satan and hunger at the same time. So we're going to take one care of one of those in just a few minutes. Uh, the other one is going to be taken care of later, and it will be done with the help of Almighty God. Now, if Michael and the other angels need help against Satan, then what do you think you need? You've got to have help. That makes Ephesians six ten an extremely important statement. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. God will cause you to win. Every sin every temptation, every evil can be overcome by the blood of the Lamb. The important thing is, have you trusted in him? Now, do you understand this, that recognizing the truth about Satan will lead you to Jesus Christ? Satan is God's best testimony to the saving power of Jesus Christ. As Scripture says, to whom else can we go? 
Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Jesus Christ is the only one who can give you victory. Thank God for him. Be thankful on this Thanksgiving holiday for Jesus Christ and the power that he has to overcome evil, to overcome Satan, and to save your soul. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Not pleasant things that we have to talk about today as far as Satan and his power and what he can do. But as we look at the scriptures, Paul is exactly right about this, that uh, this will lead us to the power of Jesus Christ to stand strong in the power of God and his might. It'll lead us to passages in Matthew 25, Matthew 13, Revelation 12, just all these different places in the scripture that show what is going to happen at the end and what Jesus Christ will do. Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of people today, show them uh, this great nemesis that we face and why it is impossible for us to do anything without your power. There's no way that we could bring ourselves to God. There's no goodness that we have in us. There's nothing that would cause us to trust Christ except that your power should be in us to give us the ability to do it. Lord, help us to plead for that, to pray for it, to ask for your mercy and your grace, and then to give you thanksgiving that you've made it possible for people to be saved, to be delivered from the power of this evil one. So, Lord, be with us today. We thank you. We give you the praise for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.